Thank you for tuning in to another edition of Heartland History, the podcast of the Midwestern History Association. And now here's your host, John Lauk. Welcome to another edition of Heartland History. I'm your host, John Lauk. Today we're joined by Illinois College professor Jenny Barker-Devine. Jenny has won several prizes for her research about the American Midwest, including the Carrie Chapman Cat Prize for research on women in politics. Jenny has been awarded several grants to advance her research on the Midwest, including grants from the State Historical Society of Missouri and the State Historical Society of Iowa. Welcome to the show, Jenny. Thanks for having me, John. Jenny, why don't you uh, start off today by telling us a little bit about your research on the American Midwest that led to your recent book. Sure. Um, so my book is on behalf of the family farm, farm women's activism in, in Iowa since 1945. And that interestingly started um, in 2000 as a senior project at the University of Central Missouri. I was wanting to do some oral histories of uh, women and my roommate said, well, you know, my grandma lives here in town and go over the farm when my grandfather went off to World War II. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting. So I interviewed a total of 10 women in the, the area and I just found it so compelling that these women's lives were incredibly different from what I had learned in my women's history courses. These were women who worked very, very hard. Um, they had had very diverse and interesting lives. And um, what really struck me was they were not the sort of vocal activists that uh, I had studied again or read, read about in books. So when I showed up at Iowa State uh, a few years later, uh, I was interested in exploring that topic further for my graduate studies. And it has been incredibly rewarding to look at how farm women over the last century have um, developed these identities that get them access into public spaces, but yet maintain um, their um, values and their, their culture that they uh, are, are a part of, uh, which often means that as a female, maybe you're not outspoken in certain ways or in certain situations um, that you identify primarily as a farm wife rather than a farmer, um, even though they're doing lots of farm work. Um, but they're doing this in a way that is still very empowering and, and still accomplishes uh, some really significant gains for farm women. Uh, Jenny, why do you think that uh, traditional women's history has overlooked Midwestern farm women? Well, if you look at historiography of American women since uh, it became a field in the mid to late 1960s, uh, initially it really was sort of this radical field looking for acceptance. And many of the scholars were focused um, in areas maybe more along the coasts, <laughs> perhaps. Um, 
or in larger cities like Chicago. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, people like Joan Jensen, who very early on uh, recognized this, and wanted to correct this by the late 1970s, and did so beautifully uh, with their books. Uh, people like Laurel Thatcher Ulrich, who looked at women uh, in the colonial era in the same way. And they've done some really fabulous and fantastic work that laid the groundwork for us today. But by and large, uh, most academic historians are um, really focused on urban areas. And I, I think that um, as historians, particularly as graduate students, without a lot of money, you go to where the sources are. <laughs> and if that's where you are, um, then that's where you're going to look. So I think being at Iowa State was a real advantage because while I was there, I did research at the University of Iowa, which has the Iowa Women's Archives, and they very, very intentionally went out and collected items and collections related to rural women. So Karen Mason, um, I owe her a, a debt of gratitude for that. Um, also at the Iowa State Archives and University um, Special Collections, they also made a very intentional effort to collect those types of things. And then at Nebraska, Missouri, uh, other places like that were very cognizant that their constituents were rural and made a, a very concerted effort to get those materials. So in my case, it made a lot of sense to look at rural women. You talked about the identity of these women that you study in your book. How would you describe how they identified? Did they identify as Midwesterners or as women or as farm wives or Iowans or activists or some combination thereof? Can you elaborate on that? Sure. I think they identified as all of the above. <laughs> I think first and foremost, uh, the farm was at the center of their lives. It defined their marriage and their families and who they were. Even if they had grown up in town and they married a farmer, um, the farm very quickly became a central focus of their lives. That's where they worked. That's where they lived. Um, and a farm, of course, is a, a business that involves the entire family, You know, from the youngest children to the oldest adults. Uh, even if they're not doing physical labor, they, they might still be involved in decision-making. So um, I think that farm wife is first and foremost, but at the same time, you see women organizing um, based on their geography as well. So uh, there's one organization that emerged in the 1970s called White Women in Farm Economics. Uh, they originated in Nebraska, but uh, they very closely identified with other women in Kansas and in the Dakotas. Um, so they kind of straddled that area where the, the Great Plains meets the Corn Belt. Uh, but at the same time, they could see that they had a lot in common with women nearby. And so they really worked to uh, portray themselves as um, a national organization, but one that was really focused on the Midwest. The chronology of your book is post-1945 or post-World War II and uh, covers the area or the era of the 1960s and the cultural changes um, that we all associate with the 1960s. 
I'm curious about uh, how the women you studied reacted to the cultural changes of the 60s, say the hippie movement. How did they identify in relationship to all those movements that were getting so much attention? That is an excellent question and one that I grappled with for many years. So um, I think there were a range of responses. Uh, there was a, a fairly broad range. Um, by and large, um, they continued to identify primarily as farm and rural people. Um, and that brings with it some hints, I think, of maybe conservatism a bit. At the same time, though, you do see women, uh, particularly those with sons of military age, um, becoming concerned with peace movements um, and maybe with the Vietnam War uh, because they may want their sons at home to farm rather than joining the military. It depended. There was a whole range, but um, there were many women I know uh, have read oral histories who would get involved with the uh, peace movements by the late 60s. Again, by and large, they they really didn't embrace the maybe the youth culture of the time. <laughs> uh, particularly in Iowa, they would look at the University of Iowa as the uh, place where you might not want to go. Uh, but that's again not necessarily true. Um, again, there's a huge range of of reactions with the Farm Bureau women um, who tended to be quite conservative. Um, you know, they would speak out. At, against these youth running wild and, and conducting these protests and these types of things. But then in 1974, um, there is a spate of streaking on college campuses and in high schools across the country. And they actually approached this with a tremendous sense of humor. So their program materials for their annual conference in 1974 actually had safety tips for streakers. Um, including wearing reflective tape so you, you don't have a car, um, you know, how to do streaking, this type of thing. So in a lot of ways, they they were embracing the youth culture and, and sort of the, the, the wild times of the 70s. Um, but I think they, they also were trying to um, maintain an identity that really didn't challenge authority in some ways. Um, Although I might back up a minute. I hope I'm not um, going around in too many circles here. So one area where these farm women were very, very willing to challenge authority would be in farm policy. And that's really what they emphasize. That's what they focus on. Um, they are interested in price supports, in achieving parity by the 1970s, women are very, very interested in tax law. And so they're not necessarily challenging authority in their own homes, but they're not immune to the news reports that are coming in. They're not immune to uh, what they see on TV about feminism and women's rights. They are thinking about these things and they are applying feminism and women's rights to their own lives in ways that make sense for them. So by the late 60s, when you have land values going up so high, for example, they begin to challenge tax laws that define them as dependents. 
So if their husbands die, then they are charged with an inheritance tax. And they say, well, that's not fair. You know, I've worked for this farm my whole life. Why should I pay an inheritance tax? So by the 70s, they, they're able to change those laws that were incredibly unfair to them. All right, let's talk a little bit about you, Jenny. Uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in Council Bluffs, Iowa, uh, which is right along the western border and could be defined as part of the Omaha metro area, but I would probably get in trouble with my Iowa friends if I said that. Um, so I did grow up in town. I am not a farm person, and I always say that was by design. Uh, the 20th century saw uh, my relatives moving from the farms and the small towns to the cities uh, where there were opportunities, where they could um, maybe live with electricity and running water. I knew both of, uh, or two of my great very, very well, well into my 20s. And they both grew up on farms and said, you know, that just wasn't the life that they wanted. And the older I get, the more I appreciate that. Where did you go to college and graduate school? I went to college at the University of Central Missouri. It's in Warrensburg, Missouri, about 50 miles from Kansas. And then after that, I went to Iowa State in Ames. For, and that was for my master's and my Ph.D. And tell us about some of your professors at Iowa State. Uh, Iowa State University, of course, has a very strong reputation in agricultural history and rural studies. And I know you studied with some very prominent professors there. Tell us about them. Absolutely. My main uh, graduate advisor was uh, Pamela Riney Kerberg, who I understand is coming in as the president of the Midwestern History Association. Um, and you know she was just excellent. She, um, from day one, was really great about not only teaching me about history, um, but also the profession um, and what I needed to do, what I needed to accomplish by the time I left my graduate studies um, in order to set myself up for a job. And for very early on, she said, okay, you, know, you will teach and you will publish and you will do you know, this, this, and this, so that when you go on the job market, you're a very, very um, desirable candidate. And so I really appreciated that. because I don't think all graduate mentors do that quite that early. Um, but she taught a lot of really excellent classes in, in family history, agricultural history. And um, so I learned quite a bit from her. Um, I was able to take a few courses with Doug Hurt before he left. Um, probably the most notable for this podcast would be um, the history of the Midwest. And that's where I really got my introduction to the idea of the Midwest as a cohesive region. <laughs> um, interestingly, I really hadn't thought about it that much before. I think I'm a Midwesterner and that I don't think I have a region or an identity. <laughs> At least I didn't until I took that class. And we were able to read, uh, you know, many of the, the leading works on that, you know, including, you know, William Cronin's Nature's Metropolis and a number of essays and, and collections. Uh, John Jurdy's work would be another example that we were able to read. Uh, and so that was really, um, uh, helpful for me in understanding um, the people that I was studying and the history of the region 
And, you know, since then, I've been a very strong proponent of the Midwest as a cohesive region. Did you also have some time uh, to spend with Dorothy Schweeter? Yes. Um, so Dorothy Schweeter was uh, retired by the time I got to Iowa State, but she was still uh, very much a mentor and someone who I looked to for guidance. In fact, it was in Douglas Hurt's um, Midwestern history class that I met Dorothy. The assignment was to find a Midwestern historian and write a historiographic essay on them. And I thought, well, I'm interested in the history of Iowa because of my uh, dissertation research. And so she seemed like an ideal person to contact. So I did, and we sat down and, and we talked about her life and her career. And that started a, a long friendship um, and mentoring relationship that I always appreciated. She uh, would always have me over if I, if I ever needed help. And she would sit down and, and talk to me about women's history, about feminist theory, and how it all came together in the Iowa context and in the rural context. And that, that was tremendously helpful. And another person who was very, very helpful to me as I developed uh, many of these ideas uh, in my book was Deborah Fink. Now, interestingly, um, Deborah Fink and Dorothy Schroeder were very, very good friends. Um, and they had this amazing friendship, but their approach to the study of history and feminism was very different. So oftentimes I would be talking with Pam about some of my ideas and theories, and she would say, well, why don't you go talk to, to Dorothy about this? So I would go talk to Dorothy, and Dorothy would say, now, why don't you go talk to Deb about this? <laughs> so I'd talk to, uh, to, to Deb. And then somewhere in the middle of that lovely triangle, um, I would find the sweet spot, uh, which is where I found myself. And that was just a really great resource that I had. Uh, Deb Fink, Dorothy Schweder, and Pam Riding Herbert. And then I could sort of synthesize all of them into what I thought was um, the right path. Tell us about your um, job at uh, Illinois College and uh, what sort of courses you teach. And, and I understand you've been doing some work in the archives, too. That's right. So I have been at Illinois College since the fall of 2008. So I'm starting year number eight right now. And it has been a really interesting experience so far. Um, I've been able to do things that I never would have predicted as a young historian coming out of school. Um, I knew right away that I wanted to work here. I interviewed several places and then um, was really attracted to the idea of working at a small liberal arts college. I teach six classes a year, so three each semester. I get to teach um, women's history and agricultural history. I also offer a, an upper level on the history of the Midwest. So it's very flexible in what I get to teach. And we have about a thousand students. So I get to know our students really, really well on a first name basis. And we do a lot of one-on-one -on -one work as well. So that's uh, a real advantage to being at a liberal arts college. The other advantage is we just sort of get to do what we like. You know, there's not a lot of um, structured expectations for tenure and promotion. There are certainly um, expectations, but they're a bit more flexible that you can mold them to uh, what you're interested in. 
so when I got here, I went up to see the archives. I was really excited because Illinois College was founded in 1829. Our first president was Edward Beecher of the Beecher family. And so Illinois College has some really interesting national, even international connections with a lot of uh, 19th century notable people. And I thought, wow, these archives are going to be amazing. I'm going to use these for teaching, and I might even get some research out of them. Um, but when I found them, they were in complete disarray, and, and my little historian heart was sort of broken. So um, I worked with uh, my department to secure some funding uh, from the Davy Foundation, and that was in 2009, and we started hiring students to do some processing. Uh, from there, we got some more grants from the state of Illinois, and then in 2014, we secured uh, an NEH challenge grant um, to create a, a brand new state-of-the-art archival facility, um, and that was dedicated in October 2014. Um, our lead donor on that is a gentleman named Khalaf Al-Habtour, um, who is a friend of uh, an alum, uh, Paul Finley. He was a congressman for many, many years. And um, at our dedication, and we not only had Dr. L had to our show up, um, but he brought Jimmy Carter, who is um, an acquaintance of his. And he was there to launch actually another program on campus called Pathways to Peace. But he did make a pit stop um, in the archives. And that was just, I, I, I don't know if I still believe that that was real. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's just a really rewarding um, experience. And now we have a brand new archivist who started in March. Her name's Samantha Sauer. She's a good Midwesterner uh, from Eastern Illinois University. And we're just so pleased to you know, see the, the space where you know, the, the, the documents were, again, in disarray. They were disorganized. They weren't being preserved. And now we're on the right track um, to, I think, a new day in Illinois college history. I want to thank Jenny Barker Devine uh, talking to us this morning from Jacksonville, Illinois, where she teaches at Illinois Colleges, at Illinois College, and she teaches classes in the Midwest. Uh, Jenny's most recent book is entitled On Behalf of the Family Farm, Iowa Farm Women's Activism Since 1945. Uh, this book was published by the University of Iowa Press as part of their series about Midwestern history. Thank you again, Jenny, for joining us this morning. Thank you so much. It's been fun. Thank you again for tuning in to Heartland History. If you would like more information about the Midwestern History Association, visit us at midwesternhistory.com. You'll have access to information about memberships, news about upcoming conferences, calls for papers, and panel proposals related to Midwestern history. You might also be interested in subscribing to the print journal Middle West Review or reading our online journal Studies in Midwestern History. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook. Until next time.